0: I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Welcome back along to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network, as ever. I'm your host, Harry Simeon. And on this bumper edition of the show, we're going to be looking ahead to what is probably, actually, I think definitely... Arsenal's biggest game in over a decade. The Gunners travelled to the Etihad on Wednesday night to take on Manchester City, who are in hot pursuit of Mikel Arteta's side. Can Arsenal hold them off until the end of the season? Not quite a title decider, as some people are billing it. We'll get onto that uh, in a little bit. Uh, that's just my opinion anyway, and I'll of course explain why but uh, a game that could have huge ramifications with regards to who is going to go on and win that trophy and lift that trophy come the end of the season. So we're going to get into all of that. This is going to be an extra long episode, I'm anticipating. Uh, so uh, make sure you get yourself a cup of tea or whatever it is that you want to drink at this hour and uh, and that you're ready to go. Now, um, I am a little bit later today. I always say that we're going to try and stick to that 4.30 p.m. slot, but there was a good reason uh, why I was late today, which I'll come on uh, to reveal a little bit later on in the podcast. There's some fantastic content coming your way uh, over the next couple of days, which I'm sure you're going to enjoy. And that's ultimately uh, why I am late uh, recording the podcast today. But hey, it's only an hour. You can live with it, right? And uh, for those of you waking up in the States, Uh, I say waking up, it's not that early. But for those of you in the States, this might even suit you that little bit better in terms of the timings. And let's say some hellos uh, to those of you in the chat. hope you guys are all good. hope you're all well. Thank you, as always, for joining me. Remember to leave a like on the stream if you haven't done so already. Make sure you're subscribed to the channel if you're brand new as well and um, and yeah help us grow here on YouTube but also if you're listening on the audio platforms then please do uh, subscribe and leave us a review there as well that really really does help. Okay uh, without further ado then let's dive in to what's coming up on Wednesday night. Manchester City versus Arsenal in the Premier League. Is it quite a title decider though? And I've been thinking about this over the last couple of days, because obviously every outlet that will be broadcasting the match, that want to build up to the match, um, that are talking about the match, will want to overblow the significance of this game. Now, obviously, it's a huge game. And if it wasn't, I wouldn't be calling it Arsenal's biggest game in over a decade. But the point I'm trying to make here is that I don't think the result, whatever way it goes, necessarily 100% 100% guarantees either side the Premier League title because there's still going to be plenty of football to be played after that. For example, you know, if, if Manchester City were to win it, they'd close the gap uh, on Arsenal, of course, to a couple of points and they'd have two games in hand, but they've got to win those two games in hand. If Arsenal uh, were to win the game and open up an eight-point lead over Manchester City, they could very quickly make that a two-point lead By winning their games in hand. So there's so much still to happen and still to unfold that I don't think you can sit and say, well, whoever wins on Wednesday night wins the title. And I think particularly in our case, where we've got some really difficult fixtures to come. We take on, of course, Newcastle United, who made light work of Spurs uh, yesterday. Not that that's that big a deal these days. Spurs all over the place. Having sacked Christian Stellini, uh, this afternoon, sacking a caretaker manager, an interim manager uh, before the end of the season it's wild, isn't it? But I don't think um, Daniel Levy had uh, much choice. And I've noticed that when Spurs put that press release out this afternoon, they've put a message from Daniel. Well, that'll make the fans feel better, won't it? Uh, but anyway, the point I'm trying to make here is that we still have to go to Newcastle. I think Chelsea uh, will be a difficult game for us at Emirates Stadium, given that you know we're London rivals and I'm sure they would love to put a spanner in the works for us. you got to think about the fact that we got to go away to Forest, which I think is going to be a difficult game at that stage in the season where I expect them to still be fighting for their lives. Uh, you know, we take on Brighton at Emirates Stadium. Brighton, I thought, put in a really good performance against Manchester United in the FA Cup semi-final and we're desperately unlucky in the end uh, not to make it. So the point I'm trying to make is that although everybody will build this up as a title decider because they're trying to promo the game, which I get, I think that, if Arsenal win, it's a significant step towards the title, but it isn't a, a foregone conclusion. It isn't done and dusted. Equally, if Manchester City win, I think that is a bigger step for them, but still not them over the line. You know, we keep talking about these games in hand. you got to win them, though. And we know that they've got those two big ties coming up against Real Madrid. Um, they've got a couple of fixtures on paper that you look at and you think they're potentially difficult. So the point I'm trying to make here is that, yes, I think this game will give us an indication of where the title's going. If it's a draw, I don't think it gives anybody any indication. I think it means that Manchester City are slight favourites because obviously if they win those two games in hand. They'd move a point above us. But, you know, I think that there's still so much football to be played, a lot of twists and turns to come. Um, In my opinion, and if there aren't any twists and turns and what I mean by that is if Manchester City go on and win every single game, then fair play to them. They deserve it. You know, they'd have been on an incredible winning run. I just think like. We have spent a long, long time this season dreaming, you know, we got to the point, I would say, after Christmas where we looked at it and went, you know what, this could be on. But even at Christmas, I wasn't fully believing at that point. You know, I, I think for me, the biggest moment where I went, "Yep, yeah, you know what? We can bloody do this is the Bournemouth game. Because for me, although it was Bournemouth, and I know a lot of rival fans like to point that out, that really felt like a big moment for me. The kind of moment that can be season defining. And that was when I really started to believe. i got to be honest. And, you know, we we might fall short. We probably will fall short. If you ask me to bet, I would say that Arsenal are going to fall short rather than sort of backing us. But then I think about what I actually am and what I am at heart. And that's not somebody that commentates on football matches or reports on football matches or or any of that. That's not what I am at heart. That's my job. But I'm an Arsenal supporter first and foremost. So the message I kind of want to put out there ahead of Wednesday's game is go there, enjoy it. Take in the fact that we're involved in this type of fixture. Enjoy the fact that we're involved in this type of fixture. Lap it up because it's been a long, long time since we went into a game at the end of April in a Premier League season with one hell of a shot of winning the Premier League title. If you'd have told me that we'd be in this position come the end of April at the start of the season, I'd have absolutely laughed at you. Champions League football is not done and dusted just yet mathematically because, of course, Brighton have games in hand. But I think it's pretty safe to say now that we've we've managed to achieve that. I'd go as far as saying the bare minimum for Arsenal this season will be a second place finish, which when you think about where we were last season and you think about how far we've come is incredible. So don't sit there. This is much easier said than done. Don't sit there stressing, worrying, um, you know, uh, sort of getting yourself worked up. I know a lot of people are talking about Rob Holding again today. Um, And that is is winding people up. That is causing people, I think, to have a a huge anxiety um, around this game. We go there, we win. We're in a great position, but it wouldn't be done yet. We go there, we lose. We're in a not so good position, but we have to refocus and we have to recalibrate very, very quickly to make sure that in the event that Manchester City slip up towards the end of the campaign, we're there to take advantage. And that's where we've got to be. You know, go there. It's, it, I don't want to say it's a free hit because I hate it when people say that. And this really isn't a free hit. The stakes are too high. But what this is, is a situation whereby I believe anyway, that Manchester City are the side under pressure, not Arsenal. If Arsenal don't win the Premier League this season, there'll be some people out there that will say we bottled it and we were this and we were that. And you'll always get that. It's part of life. And in the world of social media and, and football and the tribalism uh, that kind of comes off the back of football fandom, you're going to get people saying that. But that wouldn't be the truth. That wouldn't be any, the, the truth by any stretch of the imagination. And it particularly irritates me when I hear Arsenal fans say that. We bottled it. We bottled it. No, we're up against an unbelievable side. An unbelievable side. The only fans in world football that understand what we're up against right now and understand the emotional roller coaster that we're on and how draining it can be when you win, 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 win. But the team behind you never drops points. And then when you get to a point where you feel like you've hit a brick wall, they seem to accelerate up into fifth gear. The only fan base that know what that feels like in recent years are Liverpool. And I would go as far as saying they're the only fan base ever to have experienced this. Why? Because no team in Premier League history has been as consistent as this Manchester City side have been over the last four or five seasons. They've been competing on a totally different level. Now, you can get into all the reasons, you know, you can talk about the the allegations against them. You can talk about their ability to spend incredible and vast sums of money. And stockpile players as a result and as a consequence, etc. You can get into all of that. But if you're basing it just on a football level, what they've done is magnificent. So let's go there. Let's, let's be brave. Let's be bold. Let's go and play our game. And let's see where we end up at the end of the night. And, you know, it could be a, a deflating night. It could be a night where we come away frustrated. But as I say, if that is the case, we have to get back on the wagon really, really quickly. And we have to make sure that any mistakes that they may potentially make between now and the end of the season, we are there ready to capitalize on. them. If we win, it could be the boost that we need to go on and finish the job. The ecstasy you will feel as an Arsenal fan if we were to go there on Wednesday night and win will be unbelievable off the charts, off the scale. And that is what we're in football for. That's why we support a team. That's why we follow a club for these moments. So, yeah, really, really looking forward to it. I'm going to feel a bit more nervous on the day, I'm sure. But at the moment, I am really, really looking forward to it. We're going to come on to talk about the starting lineup in a bit. We're going to talk about some of the um, issues that we can maybe see uh, sort of coming in this game. We're going to talk about a couple of alternatives in terms of what Mikel Arteta can do um on this edition of the podcast we're going to break it all down uh, but before we do that uh, i'm just going to take a very very short pause to bring you guys a message from our sponsors and then we're going to be doing football chat for the next hour or so so loads and loads to come do not go anywhere right so thanks to you guys for signing up to the uh service that is The brilliant service that is that is the brilliant service that is. I mean, that doesn't make sense. That was terrible. I've messed that up completely. But anyway, you get the drift of what I'm trying to say. Thanks to you guys for signing up to NordVPN. The good people over at NordVPN have decided to sponsor the Chronicles of Aguna podcast for another month, which means that discount that you guys uh, were lucky enough to get uh, via the link in the description is now available to everybody else for another month. So if you are interested, you need to go to NordVPN.com forward slash Chronicles there to see. The link is in the description below. You can get a huge discount on the service plus four additional months for free. It's completely risk free with Nord's 30 day money back guarantee. So what is NordVPN? I hear some of you ask. NordVPN is a virtual private network service named one of Times 2022's best inventions it's the price of a cup of coffee per month and the benefits i'm sure you'll agree will more than justify the cost you can protect your data whilst traveling and using public wi-fi by being logged in on nordvpn it protects you wherever you are in the world you can watch sporting events tv shows and films that are not available in your region by setting your virtual location to elsewhere you can purchase flights subscriptions and more at cheaper prices by logging in from different locations. So you can control where the internet thinks you are in the world via NordVPN. So you get all of those benefits in terms of the protection, but you'd also be able to shop for stuff and pay local prices. You'll also be able to book flights from the destination that you're maybe going to, where it could end up being cheaper. And you'll be able to access content, videos, TV streams, uh, all sorts of stuff. Um, that you wouldn't normally be able to locate because it's geo blocked. So, for example, when I like to watch uh, some Greek football, I can't find it in the UK. It's geo blocked. But if I set my location to Greece or Cyprus via NordVPN, I am able to do that. It removes that block. Equally, if I want to log into Netflix and I want to watch something different, I'm a bit fed up of the programs that I've got available to me here. I change my location to the US and it will bring me up the U.S. Archive. Lots and lots to benefit from NordVPN. Uh, It's the price, as I say, of a cup of coffee per month and the benefits, I'm sure you'll agree, more than justify the cost. Check it out, nordvpn.com forward slash Chronicles AFC. Get your huge discount and, of course, four months free. And we thank the good people at NordVPN for their sponsorship and support of the Chronicles of Aguna. Thank you very much. Uh, Big hello to those of you that have just joined us. I can see a few more of you logging in uh, as we get deeper and deeper into the show. Um, Let's take some of your comments on the big game uh, that's coming up. I said that it annoys me uh, when people say that Arsenal are bottling it. And it really, really does. Afsar says, um, Harry, at West Ham and Southampton, we did bottle it. Somebody define what bottling is. That's That's the thing I'm interested in. I think that we did throw away leads um, in games, you know, in particular in the West Ham game. I don't really count the Anfield game as that. And and to be fair to Afsar, he's not put that one in his list. But I mean, the game against West Ham, we got pegged back and we weren't good enough to respond. Southampton, we really, really struggled. A lot of people say it's down to the pressure. I think there were tactical reasons. While we struggled against Southampton, and then you add into that the individual errors, which we'll come on to talk about in a bit, because I have had a chance to watch the game back in full. Um, then I guess you could say that. But in terms of the title race overall, I mean, just just have a look at the Premier League table right now, and then ex- and, and look at it, and then just sort of not not specifically to Afsar, but anyone who's saying that, just have a look at the Premier League table and and kind of give your head a wobble. This is an Arsenal side that's played thirty-two times won 23 games, drawn six, and lost on just three occasions. Three occasions. If I take it back to last season, Arsenal lost 13 games. That's the difference. So have we bottled it? Or did we just progress way more than people thought? And now that we're levelling out a little bit, people are stressing about it. I think it's more a bit of that. Uh, Junior Gunner says, um, there is an element of bottle when you fail to see out a two-goal lead and find yourself 3-1 down at home uh, to the bottom of the league. Uh, what else have we got? Uh, VJU says, um, hello, uh, we need to go there, taking the fight to them and play 3-2-4-1, uh, a formation that Pep himself adopts. I'm not sure I'd be reinventing the wheel um, in terms of the formation. I just, I wouldn't feel comfortable doing that in a game of this magnitude. I think it's a big, big risk. Uh, Steve says, unfortunately, the players are starting to look at the destination and not the journey. Fun has been replaced with fear. I like that. Um, I like that. And I spoke to somebody today who um, who knows exactly what it's like to play for both of these clubs, to win the league with both of these clubs, to get over the line in a title race that is tense, that is difficult. There might be a bit of a clue as to why I was late today uh, recording the podcast. All shall be revealed in a bit. But um, I think, yeah, the, the journey is the important part and the destination. You hope to arrive where you want to be. Some people will say the destination is more important, but if the journey isn't right, you very rarely get to the destination that you hope to be in. Uh, what else have we got? Um, Kenny says, Harry, are you going to do the Rob holding agenda today? Honestly, I agree here. Vex our overall play. We've been shipping goals since after the world cup. Um, look, we're going to do a little bit on the Rob holding thing because we're going to talk about the update on William Saliba in just a moment or so, but I might as well tell you guys where I was this afternoon. So I've actually had a really, really cool day. Um, so earlier in the day, Uh, I got to go and join uh, the brilliant James Alcott, who if you're a YouTube um, football content consumer, I'm sure you'll all know who he is. Uh, James Alcott very, very kindly invited me onto his podcast, The Ripple Effect. And we talked about the title race. We talked about Arsenal and Man City. How did we get here was kind of the theme of the show. And that should be dropping tomorrow, uh, available in all the usual uh, podcast places. Uh, So a big thanks to James for having me down. But this afternoon... I made my way over to a very, very special interview uh, with one of my heroes. And yep, as someone guessed in the chat, I sat down with this man, the brilliant Kolo Toure. Now, Chronicles of Aguna listeners, you'll be able to listen to this interview in full on the Chronicles of Aguna on all the podcast platforms from tomorrow. It won't be available in video format. The video will be on the 90 Min YouTube channel. So, I mean, it is available, but it's available on the 90 Min channel. Uh, So you'll be able to go over there and check that out if you want to watch the interview. But in terms of our listeners, you'll be able to listen to this uh, from tomorrow. Uh, So Kolo Toure sat down with me. And as I say, um, you know, someone who's been there, done it with both of these clubs, won the Premier League title with both of these clubs, understands exactly what it takes at this point in the season. And um and yeah, he provided some uh, fantastic insight, I thought, into this huge, huge game. Right. Uh, let's do the William Saliba bit then, because, of course, uh, we had an update this morning, didn't we? From uh, the Ornacle, David Ornstein, uh, reporting that, of course, uh, William Saliba is going to miss the game at Manchester City. Probably won't make the game uh, against Chelsea either next week, uh, which is obviously another disappointment. And suggested that William Saliba's season, which we've kind of feared all along, could be well and truly over. So there's no point in obsessing over this anymore. You know, I I sort of sat down earlier and I was was sort of creating the thumbnail for this episode. And I went and I put a picture of William Saliba in it because I was going to title it with Arsenal versus or, or Man City versus Arsenal. Preview starting 11 predictions. We always do. And then William Saliba out for the season or whatever. And then I just thought, how many times are we are going to do that? Just sort of looking through the channel. There's been such big news that we've put William Saliba on thumbnails and in titles and in everything to try and sort of, I guess, convey what an important thing this is and what a big deal this is. But the point is that at this point in the season, you just got to take it and move. Like, what can we actually do about it? Nothing. So if we're going to sit there feeling sorry for ourselves and, and worrying and complaining about the fact that William Saliba is unavailable, that is not a good use of our time. I'm sure that at Arsenal Football Club, the mentality is very different. I'm sure that at Arsenal Football Club, people are looking at it and going, well, look, it's not ideal, but there's nothing we can do about it. Now let's focus on the game in hand. The coaches need to be guiding Rob Holding through. They need to be trying to get him to mirror what it is that William Saliba brings to this team, but at the same time, not exposing his shortcomings. So it's a really, really difficult and tricky balance. Uh, for the guys to find and you know it is what it is with Saliba my concern now more than the Man City game and more than how we're going to get through the rest of this season is is there any long-term damage here because there are suggestions that this injury is a lot more severe than first feared Mikel Arteta has recently told us that the play has not progressed in the way that the club hoped and expected so we're at a place now where there's a genuine concern for william saliba's well-being and fitness and what a shame it would be if this is a really serious problem because he has come in from the cold he's come in from the dark having been out on loan for a good couple of years and he's really really impressed and he's become a really integral part of this team him not being there affects us in a number of ways and it doesn't just affect us at center back it affects us at right back it affects us at left back. It affects us in defensive midfield. It affects us in the eight positions. It affects us wide. It affects us everywhere because this team was such a well-oiled machine earlier on in the season. There is so much uh, sort of chemistry between the players. I don't know if you guys have ever played FIFA Ultimate Team, but you know when you make your team and you line them up and it used to have those bars and it was like, well, they play from the same club, so they've got chemistry and they're from the same country, so they've got chemistry. That's what it felt like this Arsenal team was. If you if this was a game of ultimate team, they'd all be linked up on the green lines because everybody just everybody just sort of helps everybody and everybody as an individual helps raise the level of those around them. And at the moment, we've got a player playing in the team whose level isn't as good as William Saliba's. But the other thing to note as well, and, and this is something I, I took away from sort of speaking to Colo Toure, is that it's really, really easy actually to go, well, he's the weak link, he's the problem. But just generally speaking, as a defense, we're not defending well enough. You know, if you go back to the goals that we've conceded since Rob Holding's come in the team, and let's be clear on this as well, because although I I truly believe that William Saliba is a much better player than Rob Holding, I think what's happened is that we've looked at the fact that we've conceded a load of goals. The easy thing to do is go, well, it's all on Rob Holding because he's the thing that's different from what we were doing before. And pin it all on him. And the truth is that some of it has been down to him, but a lot of it hasn't been down to him either. Let's go back to the game at Anfield. 2-2 draw. Arsenal 2-0 up. Cruising. Liverpool get a fortunate goal, in my opinion, out of nowhere. And they're back in the game. Was Rob Holding really to blame there? I don't think he was. I think that Henderson stabs the ball towards the far post. He's trying to get a shot off. He gets it horribly wrong and it lands in the one place that Mo Salah can get to it ahead of the defender and he puts it in the back of the net. You think about the second goal that day. You know, horrible, horrible defending from Alexander Zinchenko. I know Rob Holding gave away a penalty, but obviously Mo Salah missed that. But that second goal was, in my opinion, largely down to Zinchenko getting beaten as easily as he did. Take it on to West Ham United, you know, where, again, we were cruising two goals to the good. First goal comes about from a penalty kick because Thomas Partey's messing around on the edge of his box. Gabriel panics, slides in. And, you know, that's how West Ham get back into the game. And the second West Ham goal, where the ball is sort of launched back into the penalty area and nobody really keeps a track of where Jared Bowen is, is on Gabriel Antini's side. It's not Rob Holding's side. And then you go on to Southampton, where I think Rob Holding played a part in Southampton's second goal. And I'll explain why when we switch over to the tactics board to look at the team. But the first goal is solely on Aaron Ramsdale. And the second goal for me, uh, sorry, the third goal, I beg your pardon. I've already said the second, you know, Rob Holding plays a part in that for me. The third goal is, is bad organization from a corner. And I actually think that, A, Thomas Partey doesn't need to give away that corner. It's a really silly corner to give away. And I thought he'd learn his lesson from trying silly things on the edge of our box. But the organization defensively is not right. Maybe you could make the case that if Saliba's in the team, you know, that that organization is better. But we've basically gone for a zonal marking approach. We've not really covered the zone that we need to be covering at the far post well enough to flick on makes that more difficult. I acknowledge that. And I think I said that in my post-match podcast. But Zinchenko is the one there. Saka is the one that loses Kaleta Carr's run. And so, again, you can't really pin that on Rob Holding. So if you think about it, although he has impacted our play, and that's undeniable, and I've been saying that for weeks, to actually really hammer in on Rob Holding and to suggest that he's the only problem with us defensively at this moment in time is very, very unfair. Because I've just spoken about three games in which we conceded seven goals. and I can only really put one of them directly down to him. So let's stop scapegoating him. I said the other day that we shouldn't talk about it anymore. And then I did. I know I kind of contradicted myself and sort of made the point that You know, he does impact us in a lot of ways and there are issues and and I'm going to point out some of them in a minute, but it's not as much holdings fault as people want it to be right now. It's kind of, as I keep saying, it's the easy thing to say. Thomas Partey's performances have been dreadful. You know, Zinchenko defensively has left a lot to be desired in recent weeks. The absence of Granit Xhaka against Southampton was huge in terms of that midfield balance. I've always said this to you guys. People say Arsenal play now with Thomas Partey and two eights. It's not quite two eights because Granit Xhaka doesn't only operate in the role of an eight. He does more than that. Granit Xhaka brings us that balance that allows Martin Odegaard, for example, that extra bit of freedom, but also allows Zinchenko the positional freedom. And allows Gabriel to be able to go out wide sometimes to fill the holes that Zinchenko leaves. So tactically, we have been impacted, yes. But in terms of individual mistakes, it's not all about Rob Holding at the moment. And and so we need to stop obsessing about this. And yeah, you can have your opinion. And my opinion is very much that, you know, he's not as good a player as William Saliba. That's not going to change anything ahead of Wednesday. Don't. Scapegoat people. Point out where you think we can do better. Point out alternative structures maybe that you think might protect Rob Holding that little bit better. But, you know, the team as a collective has to defend better. It starts from the front and it filters into the midfield. And and the great thing about Arsenal this season is that they've been, um, you know, they've been such a good unit collectively. And not watertight defensively, let's be honest about that. You know, if you look at the Premier League table this season, goals against 34, six more goals than uh, than Manchester City have conceded. You know, that's nine more goals than Newcastle. Man United, who are down in fourth, have only conceded three more than us. You know, you think about Liverpool in seventh, who have had a disastrous season by everybody's standards. They've only conceded 38. It's only four more goals than us. You know, you take it right down, 14th placed. Wolverhampton Wanderers have only conceded, what, 10 more than us? Palace, six more than us down in 12th. So defensively, we haven't exactly been watertight all season. And we read uh, a statistic which has been uh, dropped into the chat as well by Raul, uh, which was going around the other day. 19% of all goals against Arsenal were conceded in the last four games in the Premier League. There you go. So that just indicates that we have gone off a cliff defensively. And yes, Rob Holding is a part of that, but he's not the sole part of that. So there's no point in crying about the fact that William Saliba's is out. Let's just focus on doing what we've been doing, but doing it better. And, you know, sticking to our philosophy, sticking to our plan, but doing it better. Not being sloppy, not making bad decisions in, in key moments. Focus. That's what it's all about. Okay, let's go over to the tactics board. Let's have a little look at the side that I would pick to take on Manchester City. I know a lot of you on social media uh, are coming up with all kinds of uh, formations and and talking about all kinds of changes that Mikel Arteta uh, should make. But I'm going to go with this team. Ramsdale in goal for me, uh, back four of white, holding Gabriel and Zinchenko. Xhaka, assuming that he's back available, which he should be, knowing Granite Xhaka, I'm sure he'll do everything within his power to be available for this one. Uh, he will play in midfield with Partey and Odegaard for me with that front three again of Martinelli, Jesus and Saka. You can't knock the front three at the moment. I, I cannot believe some of the stuff I was reading sort of in the fallout from the Southampton game, people really going in on Gabriel Jesus. He's been in good goal scoring form since he returned from injury, number one. And number two, he makes everybody else around him so much more dangerous. Look at Saka and Martinelli. Look at how they're performing with him in the side. I know they've performed all season, those two, but their level for me really, really goes up when Gabriel Jesus is in the side. He wasn't signed just to be that goal scorer, but what I will say and what I accept is when people say he's not quite that killer in front of goal. I'm pretty sure I said that after the game against Southampton where I thought that there were a couple of chances in particular that he really needed to take. And, you know, as you get to the business end of the season, there will be games where you no longer get five or six chances. And now you get one or two and you've got to take them. And that's what the really, really elite players do. But I just thought the whole, the the flipping how people were talking about Jesus from one week to the next was just mental for me, because I remember sort of coming away from the West Ham game and listening to everybody say, well, why the hell was he taken off? That was madness. What was that about? And now we're in a place where, you know, after a a poor result, people are talking about him coming out of the team and him being the problem. I've seen some suggest that Trossard should play in front of him. I'm not so sure. Um, I'm not so sure. Not from the start. Anyway, I love that we've got Leandro Trossard uh, and I love that we've got an alternative option. But yeah, that's kind of where I'm at on that. Um. Yeah, so uh, that's the team I'd go with. Let me just repeat it for those of you listening on audio. Ramsdale in goal, White, Holding, Gabriel Zinchenko, Xhaka, Partey, Odegaard in midfield, Martinelli left, Saka right, and Jesus through the middle. What area, though, am I most concerned about in this team? And obviously the obvious thing to do um, in this discussion would be to highlight this man, Rob Holding, playing on the right side of our central defence And it's not so much about Rob holding himself. I think actually aerially Rob Holding's quite good. I think that's one of his strengths. Um, You know, he, he does hold his own in the air. He does win a lot of defensive headers. The problem for me is that Rob holding isn't very good at progressing the ball out from the back and into midfield. And the other issue I have with Rob holding is that he doesn't seem to trust and believe in himself to push up alongside the rest of the back line. Now, where that is a problem is in the instance, for example, of the second goal that Southampton got at the weekend or Friday night. If you watch that goal back, you will see that when Carlos Alcaraz receives the ball in midfield, um, there is a massive sort of... There's a massive issue with the positioning of the back line. So what you end what you ended up with was sort of Gabriel squeezing up, Ben White squeezing up, and Rob Holding was those few yards deeper. Now, Partey at this point has already been bypassed. Alcaraz is around about this area here. Okay. And if Rob Holding was William Saliba, I'm sure he would have been that little bit closer. Even four or five yards closer to the Southampton defender, which means what? Which means he can go there and he can engage him. It means that he can engage him and that he can put him under pressure and doesn't give him all the time in the world, like Carlos Alcaraz had, to then slip a ball in behind Gabriel for Theo Walcott. But at the same time, you look at that and, and, you know, where's your left back? You know, I know we play in a certain way and we're asking the left back to do certain things, but it's very easy to kind of look at one player and go, well, you're the cause of that goal. I don't think Rob Holding was the sole cause of that goal, but that moment and that, sort of piece of play just sort of evidence to me actually what the big big difference is is that one of them is quite happy to play on the front foot is very comfortable maybe he's just more used to it maybe it's more of a habit for Saliba to squeeze up he trusts in his pace I'm sure more than Rob Holding does he believes in his ability to go and win one-on-one jewels probably more than Rob Holding does and I look at that and I think yeah you know that that's that's a big part of the way we play. This sort of front foot style, this aggressive press, this being able to suffocate teams and keep them in their own half. And as I've said all season, knowing that people can drop a ball over the top of your back line and your defenders have got the pace to turn around and sprint back. Rob Holding doesn't have that and he knows that. And that will make him hesitant in terms of going out and engaging people in the way that William Saliba normally would. So that is an, an issue and that, For me, as I said, I think Rob Holding's probably to blame for that goal or at least played a massive part in that one. Not solely to blame necessarily because we had opportunities to deal with it. The way we lost the ball in midfield was really cheap and really poor. Uh, Martin Odegaard's passing field was really bad, I thought, really sloppy, really loose. Um, But normally, we have the defensive structure to be able to deal with those transitional situations. And in losing William Saliba, who is much more of a front foot defender, as I say, we've lost our ability to do that. We've lost our ability to deal with those situations in the way we have done for the majority of the season and we have done to really, really good effect. So that area, this area here in between the back line and in between uh, our midfield, this area here in between the lines is going to be really, really key on, um, on Wednesday night. And there's no better team in the Premier League operating between the lines for me than Manchester City. So we have to be at our absolute best. We have to be disciplined. We need Xhaka back in the team. You know, We need him to help out. We need him to tuck into those spaces, the half spaces defensively. We need him to do what he does going forward as well if we're going to be bold and brave and play our game, which I'd love to see us do. But we need to almost at times play with a double defensive midfield pivot. And that means Granite Xhaka dropping in alongside Partey. Now, M- M- Mikel Arteta hasn't spoken yet ahead of this game. And I'm guessing that Granite Xhaka is going to be back fit and available. I've heard nothing to the contrary. But if for any reason Granite Xhaka is out, then Jorginho has to play. And I think, actually, upon reflection, Mikel Arteta got it wrong putting Fabio Vieira in the other night. I think it was a bit naive. I can understand why he did it. He thought that we were going to have all the all of the ball, that Southampton were going to sit back and look to soak up pressure. And that we're going to need to unpick a really low block and and almost spend the entire game playing hundreds of passes left and right trying to find that gap. And he probably felt like Fabio Vieira was a good option there. I understand why. And he spent a lot of money on him. And he wants to justify that cost, I guess, to a degree and to a point. But at the same time, um, yeah, it's uh, at the same time, you know, it, it proved to be a really bad decision. And I think that as well as Rob Holding impacted our structure in the transitional phases and in the transitional situations. And we just didn't have that bite in midfield to be able to really take control of the game. In possession, Fabio Vieira is fine, but out of it, he's not Granit Xhaka. And I think that really, really showed. So we need Granite Xhaka back. And if Granite Xhaka isn't available which I hope he is, then we have to turn to Jorginho because I thought actually against City in the home game, Jorginho was actually quite good. Um, yeah. Right. Um, Damien Kelly uh, has had a, a little pop at me in the chat. He says, you you all can listen to Harry and his crap. He's doing it for the clicks. We will get shit on at Man City. The players choked the league already. Cheers, Damien. I mean, you don't have to be here, but yeah, cheers for choosing to spend your uh, afternoon with us, evening with us, whatever. Uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> right. Um, let's uh, let's plough on then. So I've mentioned Jorginho there and the possibility of him coming into the side or maybe the need to put him in the side, depending on what the situation is with Granite Xhaka. And I must admit, I've read a lot of um, sort of compelling arguments today as to why Jorginho should start the game with a lot of people referencing that game at the Emirates Stadium earlier in the season. And I'm kind of in two minds about this. If Granit Xhaka is fit and available, Jorginho doesn't get in my starting lineup. I've got to be honest, because I I still maintain and believe that the best balanced midfield that Mikel Arteta has at his disposal is the one made up of Partey, Xhaka and Odegaard. I think it gives us that solidarity. It gives us what we need in that sense. But it also gives us a little bit more in the attacking sense because of how Granit Xhaka has been able to evolve and because of the freedom that that affords to Martin Odegaard, because Xhaka, despite having changed his role this season, does have those defensive instincts, not always mobile enough um, to defend effectively, mind you. And we've all seen that, um, you know, in in the past and and in past seasons. But I do think that is the best balance that we have at our disposal. With Jorginho, I think he'd allow us to to get on the ball um, and to control the ball and to control the tempo and to dictate the tempo. And at times... Just slow the game down when we need it. Because I think against Southampton at times, we were way too frantic. And I said that in our post-match show, that I felt that we were too frantic and we just lost all composure and all calmness. I think there is a point in the game where Jorginho would probably be quite useful, but not from the start for me. That's just my view and uh, my opinion. I've been kind of going back and forth in my head about it. Do you try and find a way in which Jorginho can come into the team as well? But then that means changing your shape and then that means changing your structure. And although I know a lot of people feel that Mikel Arteta needs to come up with some kind of genius master plan to deal with what Pep Guardiola side are going to throw at him, I think there'll be a reluctance to, uh, to to completely shift away from what's worked for the first 32 games of the season, generally speaking. So I don't expect the system to change dramatically. I don't expect much to change. I think it's going to be the team that I've highlighted. And I think we're just going to have to trust and believe that we can go out there and we can do what we need to do. And look, uh, if you asked me, would I take a point? I would absolutely take it right now. Not a doubt about it. Not a doubt about it. Um, does that put us in pole position to win the league? No, it doesn't. It puts Manchester City in a position where if they win all their games, then then they win it, and that's fine. They would deserve it at that point. But I just, I really, I said that you should go there and you should enjoy it and that you shouldn't worry about it. But looking at the two teams and the shape they're in at the moment and the fact that one has become very, very sloppy defensively and, and is making a lot of individual errors, maybe if you want to look at sort of things with a silver lining, you could say that we've got those individual errors Error's out of the way now. Let's uh, let's focus on getting back on track. Maybe, you know, I don't know. But I think a point for Arsenal means it's still very much on. A defeat for Arsenal means that it's probably not. But at the same time, you'd be kicking yourself if you didn't do your job and Manchester City were to come unstuck somewhere along the line. I know you never want to be in a position in football where you're relying on others. But as I've said all along, Manchester City are the ones under pressure to win this title. I know they've been there and done it, and that counts for a lot. And I say they're under pressure. They maybe don't feel the pressure as much as another side would, maybe a side that hadn't gone the distance already. But I do think there's something in this idea of the pendulum shift in that little bit. I do think there's something in the idea that Arsenal being the hunters rather than the hunted is a better position for them to be in mentally in terms of how they cope with the pressure from each game. The other thing is that we seem to play after Manchester City every single time, which definitely isn't helpful. Um, But if you're hunting rather than being the hunted, I think that's, I I, I don't know. I think it's an interesting thing. It's a psychological discussion, isn't it? Um, And I'm no psychologist, but I just think when you're not expected to win something, sometimes that can allow you to play with, as Wenger would say, the handbrake off. And we've seen many Arsenal teams over the years sort of lose out on titles or miss out on Champions League spots or or put themselves in this incredibly difficult position to go on and achieve what it is they set out to. But then really kind of clicking into gear afterwards as a result of having that freedom. And off they go. So we'll see start getting some of your questions and thoughts in. Um, I'm going to give you guys my prediction. I've got some interesting questions from you guys uh, that you've been sending through on Twitter as well over the last few days. So we'll pick up a few of those. Uh, But in terms of of any other things that you want to drop in the chat, start getting them in now. Uh, Don't forget to leave a like on the video if you haven't done so already. Don't forget to subscribe to the channel. If your brand's spanking new and if you're listening to us on audio, well, then please do leave us a review. Get those questions in. We're going to take another very, 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 very brief pause and I'll be back. Okay, welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna. Let's have a look at at some of the questions that you've been uh, sending. Lots of questions about Gabriel Jesus coming through to me on Twitter, which is why I asked or why I addressed that point. A little bit um, earlier on. This is an interesting point uh, from Jonda Snaku. Um, let me just bring it up on the screen. And the reason I want to address this one is because somebody uh, that I speak to, a, a good friend, had this discussion with me earlier in the week. We were talking about um, Alexander Zinchenko. I know a lot's been made of the whole huddle thing, right? Uh, Zinchenko calling everybody in on the halfway line it was always going to become a bit of a meme if it didn't go right. And um, and I think what that has done, along with a couple of other things in recent times, i.e. the bit of defending um, at Anfield and, and various other bits and pieces, I think it's caused people to look at Zinchenko that little bit closer. Stop talking about just the vibes and talking about what he's actually doing on the pitch and what he's actually bringing to the table. And so Jonda says on Twitter, I certainly have a thought Zinchenko is more of a burden than a jewel. Everybody has been praising him all season long and Tierney might be on the way out. Zinchenko makes horrible blunders per game. He holds the ball for too long and slows down the game. That's my thought. So a friend I had a conversation with said to me that he was really irritated actually by Zinchenko doing what he did, uh, which was of course calling in the player's, Uh, creating this huddle thing on the halfway line after Arsenal had conceded their second goal. And, um, you know, sort of like, what was the need for that? It was a bit like, who is he? Who does he think he is? He's not the captain of this team. Although he's one of the leaders of the team, why is he doing this? And why is he sort of taking this this situation by the scruff of the neck and, and almost embarrassing his teammates out on the pitch? Now, my opinion on that particular incident is that somebody had to get a hold of them and calm them down and although he isn't the captain he is one of the most experienced members in the squad all season long we've talked about him and jesus and the importance of those two coming in and what that's meant for the team and what that's done for the team so for me to then sit and say well you know he's he's more of a hindrance than a help i think is unfair but i do think what's happened with zinchenko is that The advantage we used to gain by playing him in this inverted role, whereby he would go into midfield, be this additional man, and we'd end up dominating games. I think that's dwindled a little bit. I think that's dwindled in the sense of he, you know, you can't keep doing the same thing without it at some point becoming predictable. And if we can see it all the time, then you bet that the analysts of these top football clubs have got it sussed out to a T. I think people look at his positioning and look at the fact that as a one-on-one defender, he's not the best. And they look at that as a weakness for us. And what they try and do is they try and expose those areas. And what that means is that Gabriel has to go across and even more so now with Rob Holding in the heart of the defence, not to pick on Rob Holding again, but you get what I mean. We're in a position where we're stretched and most of the good work that opposition's sides do to us comes down that side because they know that that's a problem. I wouldn't go as far as saying that he is um, more of a hindrance than a help. But I don't think Zinchenko has been perfect. And I do think that when I think back to the start of the season, when I spoke to sort of a couple of friends and and colleagues that cover or support Manchester City, and they said, well, it's a decent signing, but he's not a very good defender. Do you think we're starting to see that now? I really do. But anyway, I I thought that was a, a very, very... Uh, interesting point. Let's go back through some of these tweets because there is uh, some good ones. There was one about Fabio Vieira that I really wanted to address. Uh, Where is it? Um, Just trying to find it. Here we go. Um, Lee the Gooner says, Hi, Harry. What did you think? Or or, sorry, what did Arteta think Fabio Vieira brings to the team today that Trossard couldn't have given us from the very beginning of the match? Uh, this, this for me is, how do I put this? So I agree that Fabio Vieira had a poor game and I agree that it was a mistake to put Fabio Vieira in that position. And I agree that it left us lightweight in midfield and it caused us to be at times overrun and it caused us an inability to be able to defend those spaces in between the lines in the way that we normally do. But that isn't just down to Fabio Vieira. It was down to a number of things. And we've already highlighted for Southampton's goal that, you know, Rob Holding didn't step up quick enough. And that created too much of a gap, which meant nobody could go and engage Alcaraz as they normally would, which meant he had all the time in the world to look up, pick his pass and then execute it. But to suggest that Trossard can play in that position, I think is equally as mental, no offense, but I, I just don't get why people think that Trossard can play as an eight. And I don't understand why people think Emile Smith-Rowe can play as an eight. These are players very similar in profile to Fabio Vieira that are attacking midfield players that don't want to be anywhere near their own penalty areas. And one of the reasons, as I said earlier on, that we have, we've had most of the season such a great balance in midfield has been because we've had, Partey, who's deep lying, Odegaard, who's very attack minded, and then Xhaka, who's a bit in between. That's why we've had that balance. And I just don't think that um that Trossard would have given you that defensive balance. I think you'd have had a lot of the same problems. In possession, he might have been more effective, and he may well have got on the ball more. He may well have combined with Martinelli and Jesus more. But um, but that's it. I, I think that Jorginho should have been the one to play in hindsight. Um, I was a little bit surprised that he didn't make that decision on the day. But that's what I would have gone with um, in the absence of Granite Uh, But with Fabio Vieira, um, I mean, I'm just sort of scrolling through these because uh, there was some more um, about Fabio Vieira. I can't find him at this moment in time, but basically there was a lot of criticism of Fabio Vieira in the aftermath of this game. And, and while some of it was justified, I thought some of it was unfair as well. Um, You know, he is a a young man that's come to another country with quite a bit of expectation because of the price tag, whose minutes have been very, very limited. And I don't really understand why everybody's really keen to jump on his back and not actually focus on the players that made huge individual errors on the day and on the night that cost us and cost us big time. Uh, Smithy says uh, big up Harry great show as usual you're in the media you heard of any potential city points deductions lol i got to be honest mate it feels like everything around that has just gone completely radio silent um, it's important to say and it's important to note that these are uh, alleged breaches of the financial rules uh, for Manchester City I know what a lot of people will say um, but I can't say that and I can't say that because I don't know Um, I don't know that they have done those things and uh, we're going to have to just wait and see what the outcome of the investigation is. I think what the Premier League probably want to avoid is something similar to what's happened in Italy. Uh, I don't know if you follow Italian football, but Juventus were deducted, uh, of course, uh, 15 points earlier in the campaign uh, for breaking rules um, and for sort of being found guilty uh, with regards to uh, some untoward stuff. And now at the business end of the season, they've had those points put back on the board and all of a sudden they jump up into third place in Serie A. And one of the teams that was occupying a Champions League position has been pushed out of the way and replaced by Juventus. That's something the Premier League will want to avoid. Okay, If they are going to do Manchester City on this, it has to stick. It has to be the correct decision. And equally, look, I wouldn't want Manchester city to, I'm not one of those people that goes, I don't care. They're a rival, whatever. I wouldn't want Manchester city to be docked points if they actually haven't done it. Um, You know, I I want justice, whatever that is, whatever the outcome is. Um, But yeah, that that's, that's kind of where I'm at on it. I, I don't know of anything coming down the line. I don't know of anything being imminent. And I'd imagine That there's so much paperwork and and so much legal uh, back and forth that we're not going to hear any outcome on this for a long, long time. So I wouldn't count on that um, in terms of our title hopes, anyway. Uh, Let's take a few more of your questions uh, from the live chat. Keep them coming. Uh, Don't forget, uh, please do uh, subscribe to the channel if you haven't done so already. Make sure you leave a like on the video if you're watching us on YouTube. Uh, And of course, do leave us a review if you're listening on the audio. Uh, what have we got? Uh, uh, Afsar says Should we not play with three at the back, with Saka and Kirintini as fullbacks, and Zini, Jaka, and Partey in the middle? This will give us solidity, but it would take away Afsar from what we do best, which is going forward. You know, it, you play to your strengths, do you not? If you play to your opponent's strengths, which is what you're suggesting we do in in making those decisions. You you don't play to their strengths. You play to live with their strengths. You take away from what you are doing, and that's okay when you're bottom of the table and you don't have a hope in hell. I mean, let let's take for example. Let's look at I don't know. Let's say we're Nottingham Forest, right? Nottingham Forest could go toe to toe with Manchester City. They'd probably get battered because they don't have the quality in the attacking areas that we do. And I think what we've got at the moment as Arsenal fans is this massive inferiority complex when it comes to the likes of Manchester City, who are a wonderful team, and in some ways it is justified and warranted, etc. But we're top of the league, not them. We've been setting the pace all season, not them. So why can't we go there and play our game? Why should we abandon everything that's worked so well this season? And I, I, you know, I understand why people say Mikel Arteta should change it up and should do something different ahead of this one. But I'd also be disappointed in him in a weird way if he went there and just went, well, you know, we're not not good enough for this. What kind of message would that send to his players? Whom all season he's been saying, believe, 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 you can do it. You're good enough. I love these players. He came out after the game against Southampton. He walked into the radio room, I can tell you, with the intent of defending every single one of his players. And refuting every suggestion that anybody had let him down. So yeah, um, I, I I get what you're saying, and I get why on paper people think that's the way to go. Me personally, I don't think, I don't think that we're in a place where we have to abandon all of our beliefs, all of our methods. To to try and live with them, like at the end of the day, we're without one of our first teamers. We'd be with. it with 10 of the 11 that we'd all want to see on the pitch if everyone was fit and available if you can't play your game with 10 of your best 11 then then what is the point is is the question i'd ask i guess deflected mind says uh, the last time we won against city was when we parked the bus when we go toe to toe against city we never even drew a game should the counter attack should we counter attack in the next game too so what i will say having just said that i think we should go there and play our game and we shouldn't be too afraid is that we need to apply common sense. And there will be moments in the game and times in the game where we have to weather the storm and where we have to be that bit more cautious and we have to be that bit more careful. I completely acknowledge and accept that. For example, away at Man City, you're not going to take the same risks that you might take at home against Southampton, for example. That goes without saying. But that doesn't mean you rip up all the fundamentals and all the basics of your game and start again. That's that's kind of where I'm coming from here. Um, Kenny says, Harry, I asked about the early goals slash chances we can see these days thoughts. Please don't tell me Rob Polding because it has been happening. No, I think I think you're right, Kenny. And I think I I can't remember exactly what episode it was, but I remember a few weeks ago uh, on the podcast saying something along the lines of it feels like. We're not starting games with the same ferocity and the same int, uh, sort of intensity that we did earlier in the season. I remember sort of right at the start of the season going to Arsenal and expecting them to come out of the traps fast. And I used to always say to people when we were playing against other teams and they'd ask me, you know, what can you expect from Arsenal? I'd always say, you can expect Arsenal to come out flying. And if you can survive the first half an hour, 45 minutes, then you might be okay. But if you don't, you're in serious trouble because they will overwhelm you and they will suffocate you. And it it reminded me of sort of Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool in their heyday, where they used to come out of the traps fast, furious, strong, quick, with incredible quality as well. But that hasn't been happening lately. Uh, not as frequently anyway. You know, we started really, really slowly um, against uh, against Southampton, obviously. Was the whole start like that though? No, I think it was that one moment that put us in that situation. But then when you think about West Ham, we started that game fast. We started Liverpool fast. We seem to have started to have recovered that. We got back to the point where that was a thing, yet we're giving up chances. And listen, we've been giving up chances all season. A lot of the time we've not been punished. And it's unfortunate that we're now being punished when it really matters most. But you know, we haven't been this watertight defensive unit. We've always taken risks in the way we play. And sometimes it's worked and sometimes it hasn't. But what we've had more than anything this season is the firepower to be able to get out of those situations. And I still believe our firepower is our biggest strength. And therefore, we should focus on that rather than focusing on the things that we're not very good at, which are soaking up pressure, trying to be disciplined, trying to Um, sort of stay switched on for an entire nine minutes. It's not an easy thing to do, especially against C. You could be the best defensive side in the world and City will unlock your defence at some point. So I think we play to our strengths. I think that's the way to go. Big hello to Mohammed, who says, today is the final day of Eid. Uh, We all, as Muslims, celebrate this feast at the end of Ramadan, where we break our fast. I just want to say Eid Mubarak to all my Muslim brothers in the world. A happy Eid to everybody celebrating. Uh, I hope you guys have a great celebration. Enjoy uh, the breaking of your fast and um, and sending love uh, to all of you guys that celebrate wherever you are in the world. So uh, thank you for that, Mohammed. Okay. Um, what should we do? What should we do? Let's take. Did I give you my prediction? I don't think I did, did I? Right. My prediction is. I don't know whether to go with my head or my heart. Because my head says Manchester City three, Arsenal one, but my heart says Manchester City one, Arsenal one. Even my heart's not saying that Arsenal go and win at the Etihad. <laughs> but anyway, um, that's 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 how I'm seeing it right now. Um, I think if I were betting, right, if this was a serious thing, like if there was was jeopardy in my prediction then I would lean towards the Manchester City win because I think they are in fine form. I think they got so many different options and more so than the Rob Holding thing, which, you know, I've talked about at length. I just don't trust us right now to not make silly errors and to not be our own downfall. Um, and that's where that's where my main concern comes from. So. My, my actual prediction is, is Manchester City 3, Arsenal 1, and that's going to be pretty shit because I'm going to be driving all the way back from Manchester after the game back to London. It's a good four-hour drive, and I'm probably going to need to stop a few times as well because I am going to be absolutely knackered, I can imagine. Um, wanted to stay up there, but I can't. Uh, I've got something I've got to be at on Thursday morning. Um, it's a, it's a nice occasion. It's a nice event, but my God, I could have done with it being on the Friday, but Hey, it is what it is. But anyway, um, we'll end it with a nice, uh, quote from, uh, the, uh, main man, Arsene Wenger, uh, put in the chat by Raul, who says, if you don't have the belief, you have no chance at all. And it's a great way to end the podcast. Thank you all so, so much for tuning in. Remember the episode with Colo Toure will be dropping uh, tomorrow at some point. So listeners of the podcast will be able to access that in all the usual places. If you are, uh, of course, uh, watching us on YouTube, you won't be able to get, uh, that video here, but you'll be able to get it on the 90 min YouTube channel. Um, If you'd prefer to take it in via the Chronicles of Aguna, then do uh, go over to the Chronicles of Aguna on whichever podcast platform it is you prefer. I'll see you all tomorrow with more. Until then, take care of yourselves. Try to sleep well ahead of the big game coming up on Wednesday. All the best. Come on, you Gunners. I'm Martin Tyler and you're listening to Harry Simeon.